Join author and former Vibe Editor-in-Chief Danielle Smith and Black Girl Songbook as she celebrates and uplifts the talent of Black women in the music industry. Tune in for in-depth discussions with your favorite songwriters, producers, and artists, as well as anecdotes from Danielle. Plus, you'll hear the songs of Black women who changed the landscape of American music forever. Check out Black Girl Songbook exclusively on Spotify. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes has arrived in IMAX. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. They stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. Listeners, welcome. This is Sound Only. I'm Justin Cherry. And I'm Mike Peters. We're your Sound Only co-hosts. Reaching in to our deepest, darkest mailbag to answer your questions about the recent and final Evangelion movie, Evangelion 3.0 plus 1.0 colon thrice upon a time on Amazon Prime. On Amazon Prime. Okay, last week we did an episode about the Ava movie, uh, True to the Spirit of This Podcast. We asked for listener questions. We got some good listener questions. Frankly, also in my real life, I had real life conversations with people about this movie. Uh, got the wheels turning. Micah, how you feeling? How you feeling? I mean, how am I feeling about this? I think is I, I was actually having uh, this, um, I can't remember who I was talking to about this, but like saying that the movie, I mean, like, it, I didn't get the emotional catharsis I had hoped for watching it. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe because of the way that I, I mean, like, I was watching it in order to get ready for the podcast. I wasn't really, like, sitting with, like, the repercussions of it. You understand what I'm saying? Like, yeah. uh, like the way that, like, the way that it concludes itself can be more emotionally impactful if you give it more time to work, I guess. I mean, you give it a lot of time. It's just a three-hour-long movie. But I take your point. No, I mean, give it more time to work as in, like, being more present in, like, not, like, stripping back the layers of the movie as you're watching it so that you can explain the ending to other people versus, like, experiencing it for yourself. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, that's fair. That's totally... I I get that. It is definitely, as every single person who emailed us noted, a movie that begs multiple viewings too right and i feel like with each viewing you can be more patient right you feel a little less yeah, desperate to make it go. make sense yeah um 
yeah, you're less desperate to like make things click into place and more so are, um, you know, just kind of like experiencing like the visceral pleasures or like displeasures of the movie, sort of like if you are watching audition for the first time and trying to figure out whether or not the woman was actually in the house, you're going to miss like <laughs> some of the craziest mise-en-scene and like cinematography that you've ever fucking seen. You know, like anyway. Yes. It is I something that makes a lot of rewatches. We should note too, like, I don't know. You got this in your inbox, the Cowboy Bebop live action Netflix thing, by the way, just up yeah, top. Yeah, yeah. How you feeling about it? I'm sure people see it online. Um, it's coming out. Are we really doing this? What did it say? November? I don't even remember the day. I'm not pulling it up. This fall, we getting Cowboy Bebop live action from Netflix. Whether I, or not it, we want it, you know? I, I like, know. And, and I don't, I don't, I don't really want it. I don't want it. I don't want it. They, they got Yoko Kano to do the music. I mean, yeah, okay, but okay, but listen, listen, all right, you know, while you're saying that, of course they got Yoko Kano to do, to do the music. Mamoru Oshii was, was like christened the Ghost in the yeah. Shell remake that Scarlett Johansson was in because uh, they yeah. probably broke him off with a lot of money. Thing is okay, that, like, but. it's, 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 <laughs> Okay. Right. <laughs> it's different. First of all, Oshi, I know different. exactly what you're talking it's... about, but well, Oshi, at least it was just like, they paid Oshi to do a nice interview where they were like, well, I'm actually really excited about live action Ghost in the Shell by Rupert Sanders. This, Yoga kind of was actually making music, first of all, or maybe remaking music. I don't know. Re-recording, remastering, who knows? But also, secondly, I'm going to keep it real with you. One of my hottest takes in this space is that ScarJo and Pilo are actually really good in that Ghost in the Shell movie. The, the problem with that movie is 100% the script. It is, it is ass. Like it, The first line of the movie is ass. That movie is actually pretty tight, except it's written terribly. Anyway, back to Cowboy Bebop, but actually back to Evangelion, because that's what we're talking about today. Wow. You know, if I, um, if, if, if I could jump a little higher, I could dunk from the free throw line kind of logic right there. It's not a bad movie. <laughs> the writing's just bad. <laughs> okay, but anyway, continue. Um, the first listener email I want to start with is actually not even an email. It's a text. Because I want to start with, you know, like we're talking about the fourth movie in a series that is a retelling of an original anime series. And my friend J5, who I've mentioned on this podcast before, shout out. Justin Davis, uh, he his question was just, should I watch all these Evangelion shits? <laughs> Parentheses, yes. I saw the TV show on Netflix two years ago, right? And I, I feel like that's a good general listener question, right? Of if you either haven't watched Evangelion at all, or maybe if you've, just, if you've watched the original series, but you're kind of late to the rebuild movies, right? Is it worth yeah. get? Is it worth watching that first one and trying to catch up all four movies in like a weekend or something like that. What do you think? Um, like, ooh. yeah. So I mean, it just kind of like the, the the answer to this question depends upon whether or not you're a completist, right? Like, um, because there are new things, like new like dynamics entirely new characters in the rebuild series and it sort of like looks 
looks askance on the earlier, like the original series. But I mean, I don't know. I think I think it would you'd be better served by watching the original and then watching the rebuild movies. Um, with the exception of um, there's there are actually like two movies on like two do- movies on Netflix like True Squared and something something <laughs> that I mean like you can probably just go ahead and leave alone. <laughs> uh, but. Yeah, I mean, like, watching the original series and watching, like, the rebuild movies, I think is, like, honestly, like, the, the just the way to get the most out of it. Yeah, it's definitely, if somebody hasn't watched Ava, I, I just definitely would not start with rebuild. Because I know there are people who have that attitude about anime, right? Of I, I know people, and I understand where they're coming from, even though I kind of recoil when they say it where they say the thing of like, I just can't look at old style animation. And by old, they mean anything made before 1999, <laughs> which is... Yeah, I guess is, like, and this is really like, this is this is coming from a person who likes Brotherhood and not the original Full Metal Alchemist. Like, yeah, oh yeah. I, and I, I'd be like, but I still felt like I got something or understood something more about Edward and Alphonse watching the original series than I did watching the subsequent one, which had better animation and the story moved at a better clip and it was like smoother and less friction. Uh, like it was, it was more soapy. I mean, that's not true, but go ahead. Keep going. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, <Stop>. fine, <laughs> fine, fine. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, listen, but, if you want to try okay. it out, you want to try it out stale takes and I don't get to argue. I'm going to try it out stale takes and you don't get to argue. <laughs> but if somebody's watched Ava, especially, yeah, I don't know. I, I definitely think if you watched Ava, it's worth giving these movies a shot. It does feel kind of rough trying to binge them just because the first movie of the four Rebuild movies is so faithful to the original series. So sort of, you really have to go through an hour and a it's half. Such of, a bummer. Like, I like the, it, but the, it's just it. At the time, it feels like a head fake because it's too. It feels like you're watching just a remastered original series, and then exponentially they they go off the rails, right? Um, hmm. But if you watched it before, just know that when you watch the first movie, it's gonna feel very familiar, and it's gonna take till the second movie. It's gonna take to the second half of the second movie for you to feel like you really you really doing something. Um. Now we go to the listener, listener emails, the proper emails. Thank you, J5, for writing into us. Um, Trontons, okay. Shouts out. Justin and Micah, big fans of the pod from the Ava recap days. I've loved thank the. You, man. Yeah, thank you. First of all, thank you. Thank you. I, yeah. I've loved the rebuild experiment so far and thought this last one was an absolute triumph. I liked your first pod about it. And there's still so much to touch on. And truthfully, I didn't realize some of this stuff until I dove into a Reddit hole afterwards. For example, Asuka's a clone. Mari was around at Shinji's birth and is maybe the same kind of being as Kaoru. The final Ava fight is on a soundstage. This is a movie that demands repeat viewings. Ultimately, though, what I loved about Thrice Upon a Time is that it felt really like Anno saying goodbye forever to this phenomenon that is Evangelion. The final sequence basically makes this explicit. The show felt like depression and the rebuild feels like recovery. Okay, that's like a lot to unpack. Um, I actually want to start with that last point first. The idea that the show 
the, like the original TV series is very depressive, right? To the point that that's kind of people, I, I think kind of go overboard with the meme, right? Of saying that Evangelion is about depression. I think that's a bit too simplistic, but I definitely think it's fair to say that the TV series is very depressive and sad and introspective. And the movies yeah, aren't. It'd be more like I'd say that it's kind of like more so about intense vulnerability. Yeah. Um, and like the, I guess, like by the end of like the conclusion of uh, like Thrice Upon a Time, it's like you've regained control in vulnerability. Yeah. Yeah. Like I definitely he uses the word recovery, and I think that's a really good word for it, especially by the fourth movie, right? You just yeah. you get the sense of people who live in a really fucked up place mentally, geo geopolitically, <laughs> right? <laughs> but also, like, I don't know, your boy Toji became a doctor, right? And Shinji finally got to hear somebody say, Yo, we we like you, we like being around you. Like you know, there are these moments that feel really... There, there's more of a sense of characters breaking through whatever their problem is by the fourth movie in Rebuild, whereas even by the end of End of Evangelion, right, like the closest you get is Asuka blacking out on the Ava series, but then she yeah. gets impaled in the eye, you know? So it's like... <laughs> it's kind of a watch. Um, yeah. But that said, the point about repeat viewings, right? Okay. So he brings up a few things. He's like, Asuka's a clone. First of all, I can't really... I don't really get the Asuka stuff in this movie. Because there's... Part of it is that she's a clone, but part of it is that she's an angel. <laughs> I don't know. Like, she's part angel with, like, a... Like, a... That's... that Like, the, the little... The little uh, eye patch she has suppresses it. And, like, I mean, there's... Yeah, there's confusing Asuka stuff in this movie, like the way that she's referred to, like whether or not she possesses the memories of that, why, like the kind of uh, assumptions she makes about Rey, yeah. and Rey kind of like flipping that back onto her occasionally, um, in a way that sort of does suggest that she's a clone. I think it's like the things that are, like the way that the movie re rewards repeat viewings is that you begin to take that stuff less seriously, maybe? Yeah, yes, yes. Because to me, this like, is the kind of movie where it's not, this is not the kind of movie where you go, oh, Asuka's a clone. This is instead the kind of movie where you go, and Asuka's a clone or an angel. You know what I mean? Everything ends with a sort of question mark when you're trying to recount it to someone else. It's that kind of movie. And I think you were yeah. very wise beyond your years to characterize this as a movie where, like, you have to really learn how to discern between how seriously you take certain overdeveloped elements of this movie in this rebuild series. Hold up now. I think that there was so much dead air because I, I think you might have accidentally paid me a compliment there. We're... Hey, shut up. We're... Uh... <laughs> No, but um, yeah, I, like I think uh, like the, the, the way that you kind of begin to like care less about like exactly what's happening as the AT fields are being broken down and rebuilt and like the two Ava, the Ava one and Ava 
U dash two unit, whatever the hell it is that like uh, Gendo's piloting uh, are mirroring each, each other's movements and why. It's more so just like, you know, oh, I'm watching like this interpretive dance routine that takes me through different um, important set pieces in the show. Sort of like the same way that like, you know, but instead of just having like Shinji sitting in like a wooden and metal desk chair on a stage and then in a white expanse and then on a train and then all this other stuff like it is in the final couple of episodes in the original series, you get this sort of, like I said, crazily animated um, interpretive dance routine between two like city leveling robots. Yeah, and I also I also think that the the fact that a lot of that stuff doesn't necessarily make strict sense, or that you'd have to think about it and rationalize it for a long time to make it make strict sense, to me, a really big difference between the original series and Rebuild is that the original series, Ano feels very devoted to the characters, and the everything just feels like it's in service of making the characters feel painfully real and realized. Whereas I think with this fourth movie. I'm glad you said that. Like it kind of like is is focused on making the characters feel like the center of the universe. And maybe the rebuild series kind of like suggests that the world spins on outside of them. That, but it's also that at least in the fourth movie, Anno sort of also seems to be more considerate of the fan perspective than ever is is kind of how I want to mm. put it, right? Like, the fact that there's just a lot of visual splendor and, like, like you're, we're talking about the soundstage part, right? We're talking about the mm. fight between Shinji and Gendo. To me, all, the whole logic of that fight is way more considerate of, okay, what is the visual language of this conflict that would most gratify the fan and sort of makes sense to the fan who's followed the, these characters for a long time. It, it feels way more that than it feels like it is true to the emotional state of Gendo or Shinji in that moment. You know what I mean? And I think this is for better or worse, right? I think what people love about the original Ava is that the characters feel so real and they, they feel like the center of the universe. I kind of feel like the center mm-hmm. of the universe by the second half of the fourth rebuild movie. Mm. That's just me, though. <laughs> that, that, that's just me, though. Yeah. Oh. Um, we, let's go to the next question from Albinoverse. Eric. Shouts out, Eric. Uh, I shouts out, shouts out Eric Albinoverse. Uh, I'll do uh, this one. Hey, hey, Charity, yeah. Micah, I got two questions. One, I found myself very put off by Asuka and Kinsuke's relationship in the rebuilt movies. Do you think Ano was just rearranging pieces and Asuka needed to be living somewhere in the story, or was he trying to make a more artful point with this relationship that I'm missing? It's almost an inversion of her inception with Kaji as Kinsuke borders on being asexual in comparison. Um, should we answer the first? Should I read both, or should we answer that first part first? Yeah, we... Okay. Um... Well, let me let me read the second one in an abridged sense because it's basically Eric saying. I mean, like it's more or less the same. Yeah, yeah. You you pick it up. You take it. You take it. 
Because we yeah, should talk about I, I mean, like, too, the answer is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, second, second of all, the second question. Uh, Mari seems to have been crammed in the story simply to be a Shinji love interest that isn't a clone. My best guess is she serves as a symbol of vivacity of life, an embodiment of external circumstance plummeting into his world and knocking Shinji off his narcissistic self-loathing cycles. I feel if Anna was adding anything to the story, it was a more nuanced feelings on love. Ray and Asuka were both narcissistic projections. After a point to Shinji, Maru was that surprising crush you feel within three days of getting to know someone before you can overthink it. All this being said, it would seem that Mari was written backwards if that's the case. Curious if you'd agree with any of that or have a smarter way of putting it. Okay. Asuka, Mari. Um, well, okay. Asuka and Kinsuke, right? Eric's question is really about the Asuka, Kinsuke, you know, Asuka not wearing any clothes in the movie and Kinsuke just sort of being around a lot and not having this kind of Super Honestly, casual just walking reaction. by, <laughs> yeah, just kind of like brushing by and just being like, "All right, move. I'm going to the Folgers can. All right, you do whatever yeah. it is you're doing in here. I'm gonna go help the village people with what they're doing. Oh, you're still here. And uh, yeah, it's like read a very into that, that they're a couple, right? Like, is that was that your interpretation that they're a couple? I think we talked about this a little bit on the last episode. I don't know that, like, I don't think that they're a couple. I think that it's kind of, it kind of is a little bit like the the Kaji-Oscar relationship in the original series. But at least, yeah, it sort of is the inverse of that, where it's just, this is a way to allow this character to be this, <laughs> this, like, this fiery, combative, you know, precocious, weirdly sexual, like, 14-year-old, but, like, to not, like, tamp down on it in any way or invalidate it, but also not to react to it. It's just kind of like he just comes in and he leaves and he doesn't really pay it any mind. Yeah. Because I mean, like, what else are you supposed to do? Like, it's just like, it's, it's the only place that she feels safe in the world right now. Yeah, it almost... To that point, I actually think that the characterization of Asuka and Kinsuke in the movie, one, I don't think they're a couple, but two, the, the characterization seems more in service of Kinsuke than Asuka. Because it, it, it's like it's this way of setting up that Kinsuke was a dweeb and annoying in the original series. And then he grew up here and now he's hot and wears Patagonia and can't even be bothered by the naked girl who's just sort of around in one of their apartments, right? Um, and then, yeah, I guess the flip side of that from Asuka's perspective, right, it's that this movie no longer has a Kaji character. And even in the even in the earlier movies, they don't really have the same kind of desperate, dysfunctional relationship they had in the original series. And then Asuka yeah. and Shinji's relationship in Rebuild is not really the same. And so it almost feels like in order to preserve some of the essential Asuka bits they kind of have to displace it onto Kinsuke. The Kinsuke has yeah. to be a receptacle for some of the old Asuka energy of this, this weird sexual sleaze, you know, that she's always kind of throwing yeah. around, even when she doesn't realize it. Um, and then also fan service. Like, to some extent, it's also just fan service, right? Like, Asuka standing around in her underwear. Um, it's just, it feels like fan service. 
Um, and then the second, okay. And then the Mari question, right? Uh, a very different character who sometimes serves very similar ends, right? Fan service, but also is Mari crammed into the story? I feel like this is the basic fan question about these movies is was there by the fourth movie a grand design for this character, right? A new character is not in the original series at all. Um, seems to have been invented by Hideaki Anno purely to be annoying and a troll. My take on Mari, I will, okay, I will spell this out. I was talking to Eric Thurm. Eric Thurm was talking to me about some interpretations that Mar, like Mari basically represents Hideaki Anno's wife, Moyoko Anno, who is a manga artist. Um, I, and maybe that's true, maybe it's not. I don't know enough about Moyoko Anno as a personality to see if that tracks, right? But what I do feel like is Mari, in some sense, represents the fact that Anno is probably... One, he's just older than he was when he made the original series, right? And two, he... I don't get the sense that he's in the same depressive place that he sort of infamously was when he made the original series, right? And so Mari feels like this character where you're sort of like... On the one hand, you can dismiss her as... They invented this character to do merchandising, right? So they could sell new toys. And that part's probably true. But the other part that's probably true is, at least how I see it, it's, it's you make this character when you say, man, y'all, y'all really just want to watch people be depressed? Y'all want to have some fun, I, too? It's like it's <laughs> the galaxy brain, the galaxy brain way of it's looking at it. It's this, this like, you know, I know what I am. I don't pretend that I that I don't that I don't know what I am and what I'm selling <laughs> at this point. Like... Yeah, it is a little bit of like there's there is a little bit of 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 here nigga damn energy like behind the the creation of the Mari character where it's just kind of like all right, listen, you know, you you really you know here here here's this thing you know and titty. it's what you want. She going to yes, joke titties. about titties. Come on, you she know, have whips. She's going to have glasses yeah. that she can take off occasionally and make her like 20 times hotter, you know, that all the things you want. Yes. But I do think that there is, in a weird cosmic brain sense, also a dose of maturity, even if it's a bit misfired. Yeah, of, of Anno. Mm -hmm. I don't want to psychoanalyze the guy. I don't like that kind of criticism, but I, it does feel a bit like this is what happens when you get some more, when you get older and now you got some money and you reapproach the show and you go, damn, this shit, the original shit was depressing. Can we sort of, can we switch this up a bit? <laughs> and then you add this comic relief. She's not even really comic relief, but she verges on it. You know what I mean? She's just so happy compared to. She, yeah, it was just she like, she just has problems. lust for life. Yeah, it's just like nobody likes being alive in the original series. Yeah. <laughs> and Bar is just kind of like, yo. I get to drive this busted uh, uh, robot with rotating Gatling gun arms. Hell yeah, brother. Hell yeah, brother. <laughs> yes. She's, yes. She, she exists to be a character who doesn't have real problems. That's my take. And yeah, I think there are other things you can read about her relationship with Shinji. We will talk about that more as we continue. And we talk, some of our questions are about the end of the movie. Uh, first, let's take a break. Uh, and yeah, we'll be back to talk more about Ava Thrice Upon a Time. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. 
So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, File a claim right on the State Farm mobile app and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Dan writes in. Hi, Justin and Micah. What did you guys make of Mari's origins, explanation, or lack thereof? There was a dialogue scene with Fiuski and Mari that I didn't quite understand. And there was a photo of her appearing when Yui and Gendo were younger and it's implied she got them together and how old is she? Is there a reason at the same time? You know, at the end, she seems to be the same age as Shinji and they might be in a relationship. Uh, every sentence in this email is a question, you know, ends in a, in a question mark. And I respect that, Dan. You have a lot of questions about Mari. Uh, that's that's one of the annoying things about the Mari characters that even if I appreciate the sort of the energy is Emily Yoshida put it on a, on a conversation I was listening to with, with her recently. Like it's a, she brings a troll energy. I do wish that there was a more I can accept the ecstatic senselessness of this movie on a lot of levels. But the questions that I still have about Mari feel way more fundamental and basic than the questions I have about everything else. For instance, like when Dan writes, how old is she? Like, yes, I too leave the movie no with one knows, yeah. like, I have no idea what the age of this character is. You know, which age range of the, the different sets of characters. So the adults like Fiuski, who's like the oldest character, right? And the, Or like Gendo and Yui or Shinji. I have no sense. I don't know where to place her. The best, you, she's a pilot, so she should be the same age as Asuka. But now Asuka and Shinji have eight. I don't know, man. Like, I don't know. The answer is I don't know. Yeah, and I mean, like, she's like, and, and she's like talking to Fudski in the, in the moment before he returns to the ooze um, towards the end of the movie. Did you understand that exchange? Did you get that? I didn't. I, did. like, I didn't understand well, that. It's the line where he's he realized her last name is Iscariot, right? Maria Iscariot. Mm-hmm. And you get the the way they talk, it's almost like it's positing that Fiyutsuki and Mari have a similar relationship to the 
Fuyutsuki's relationship with Yui Akari, but it doesn't really make sense and no one ever explains it that way. It, it, she's built out of innuendo. Her entire character is just innuendo <laughs> and employed in a really ambiguous direction. I will also note that what you just said of, um, you know, Mari has this conversation with Fuyutsuki before Fuyutsuki you know, explodes into orange goo. They don't really give him that luxury in this movie, unlike End of Evangelion. In this movie, it's so funny. He has this conversation with Mari after the big battle in Nerve HQ. And then Mari leaves. And Fiusky's just sort of standing in the dark. And they don't even, you know what I mean? Like, this is last scene in the movie. He's just, just like the oldest nigga in the game. The OG. Just standing in a dark room. And then they just cut away from him. And that's it. Yeah. Just, uh, just, just hunched over, eyes sunken. Yeah, just, and it feels like he's in that moment supposed to be tasked with explaining or revealing certain things about Mari. But yeah, their conversation is so esoteric that I was just confused. And I, yeah, I, you know, to to Dan's point, I have no idea what that conversation was about <laughs> between those two characters <laughs> at the end of the movie. Yeah, so we're just as lost as you are. Yeah. Um, now, the point about they appear to be in a relationship at the end of the movie, Shinji and Mari, right? Now, we know why this is, why one would watch the scene and assume that. And it is because, strangely, bizarrely, uh, Evangelion 3.0 plus 1.0, thrice upon a time, the last five minutes of the movie, for whatever reason, decided to steal the ending of your name, right? Like, it's it's sort of like you have the regular ending of, okay, this is the end of the, this is the post-apocalyptic thing. And then randomly, it's just sort of black. And then it almost feels like it has the energy of a post-credit sequence. But if you have seen the anime rom-com movie award-winning Your Name released a few years ago, that is what the last few minutes of this movie are. And it's, well, it's a combination of Your Name and also... Um, I guess the end of the last Harry Potter book, right? Where all the characters are grown up and they're all like platform nine and three quarters or whatever. And it's just like, oh no, this is sequel baiting or something. I, yeah, it's implied that they're in a relationship, but I couldn't even think about the significance of that because I just was like, they stole the ending of your name. What is happening? Yeah. Yeah. I don't you think yeah, it was cute? I, I'll come you... for you wherever you are. It's <laughs> like, I, it's a very like cookie cutter shit. I, I mean, like, yeah, I don't really understand it either. And it's like, very this is... music video y too. It's like, oh, this is, you know? Yeah, it's very, it's very mid 2000s Janet Jackson. Um... <laughs> <laughs> oh. I, don't know. I thought it was very rom-com theatrical anime ending, which, and, and even that, the fact that it doesn't, like the end sequence more than anything else in all the rebuild movies does not feel very Evangelion. And when I was talking to Eric Thurm, he's making the point that, uh, I think a lot of people make this point, that the whole point of Mari in some way is to feel very much not like Evangelion. Um, I, I think that, I think, you're supposed to focus on that more than you're supposed to focus on the idea of, wait, so are Mari and Shinji married? <laughs> and I guess you can't sort of end up, like, I guess if you're Hideaki Anno, given the tone of the movie, too, it's sort of, you kind of feel obliged, probably, to give the movie a, ha- a happy-ish ending, right? 
Um, that's what's yeah. so disorienting about the end of the movie is that it's happy and romantic in a way that Evangelion otherwise essentially is not. Um, but damn, I don't know nothing about Mari. It's like he married a random, you know what I mean? It feels like a Vegas wedding type of decision for them to go there. But yeah, yeah. She just added sunshine and no problems. <laughs> um, you want to take the next question, Micah? Yeah, I'll take the next question. Um, so, uh, this is from Yale. Um, not spelled like the institution, but with uh, Y-E-I-L. Um, so, I used to be annoyed by Mari until I read a comment somewhere that Mari is to Shinji what Yui was to Gendo, a person adding spark and color to their lives, untainted by the psychological problems. Also, Mari supposedly Hideaki Aono's wife in fictional form, according to some half-assed research. I'm still not 100% happy with how she was implemented as a character, but viewing her through those lenses made me appreciate her better. I mean, like, yeah, this is kind of like we, we've been talking about this already. Like, it's kind of... I mean, like, did you appreciate her better, for real? Like, through that lens? Because, like... I feel like there's still like we were saying because it's like we were saying you can watch you can watch Mario you could watch the Mario character and still have all these basic questions about like her motivation slash origin slash needs slash wants. What's her favorite color? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, man. You I know? really don't. What well, she yeah. like to eat? Uh, yeah, I I. I agree that certain interpretations give her more texture, but it does, to me, feel like the classic problem of this character was constructed in a way that in order for her character to really have traction in the fandom, the fandom has to do all the work of making her character make sense, mm -hmm. you know? And you mm -hmm. kind of wish that the yeah. people who wrote the character did a little more work so I could do a little less work to make this character make sense. That's mm -hmm. all I'm going to say about it. Um but I definitely feel like that at least those theories about Mario are at least the beginning of, I don't know, some good legwork. But yeah, I, I'm sort of with the idea of like still not being 100% happy with how she was implemented. Um, let's go to Rory, who did not ask about the Ava movie, but did ask about something related. Not the biggest anime fan, but big fan of quote unquote dumb anime bullshit. I was wondering if you had other similar cross-text structural frameworks that you regularly consider. So basically, do we have other things like the whole idea of dumb anime bullshit that we like to apply to Do things? we have more we shorthand? Have... Yeah. Is, is, is what you're Critical asking. shorthand, yeah. I don't know. Dumb anime bullshit um, is the only thing I care about in life. <laughs> it's really, yeah. Like, it's, it's very... It's, it's more so, like... Um. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that I really have another. Another one like that that kind of functions in the same way. You know, it's like nothing that really like functions like a complete ethos like that does. <laughs> yeah, dumb anime yeah. bullshit is like yeah, dumb anime bullshit is is practically a religion. Yeah, and it's good because it's one. I, I feel like it serves two purposes. One. 
it is a way to sort of tease that people should watch more anime than they do. They like certain kinds of non-anime things. Um, but two, yeah, it's a way of getting at, I feel like a lot of culture negotiates this problem, right? Of like, they, there isn't really just some one or two dimensional spectrum of lowbrow and highbrow, right? Um, some of the smartest shit you've ever seen can be really dumb in the spirit of dumb anime bullshit. And then you can watch something that's just dumb and for babies, but like in a way that's totally unrelated to the idea of dumb anime bullshit, right? Um, yeah, you know, I think as a critic, my only two ideas about anything ever are dumb anime bullshit and then comparing things to Paul Haggis's crash. Like those are my only two moves. I'm a it's, it's honestly code, like code dumb. Code. It's it's dumb anime bullshit, and honestly, it's 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 um. I don't know. I I feel like there's it's it's really like I I know that you understand this phenomenon. Like when you used to be like primarily a music critic, and somebody yeah. who knows that you're a music critic asks you for music recommendations, and you have nothing even though you're listening to yeah. music all the time and new stuff all the time yeah. and there's stuff that you like yeah. and there's stuff that like, you know, that you could explain if you, if somebody like, you know, asked the right question, you could talk forever about whatever. Right. But you like, if it's, if you're prompted with it, you're just kind of like, I got no ideas. But yeah. honestly, in the course of taking like Drek seriously, I've also like recently come off with uh, trail off television, which is like specifically stuff you put on at 11 p.m. to fall asleep to because it's like usually kind of quiet and meditative, but like just enthralling enough to keep you interested while you're falling asleep. The crown falls neatly into this. Usually it's British television. No, no don't do the crown like that. The crown, I like to watch like midday. Tea time, like, come on, man. That's I no tawdry white dramas. That's... Tawdry nah. white dramas are the best for late night. They're right, or right there with, with, with like. Ever since they put David Attenborough in the Planet Earth thing and started telling <laughs> us about how the cameras are bad for the planet, this is the best way for you to fall asleep. Tawdry white oh, dramas. No, well, I, okay. Admittedly, the way I fall asleep is watching. Twitch streams like it is literally how I fall asleep is I have an iPad. It's, I'm probably watching like Just Go Play Siege or something. Um, but yeah, to each their own. Um, let's get to our question from Yannick. Hi guys, I'm a huge fan of Evangelion. I remember watching the shows on VHS as it came out back in the late '90s. Uh, first of all, I want to say that even I did not like that's some that's some OG shit because I wa even I watched it on probably like the first DVD release of Ava, um, but I watched it on DVD and not VHS. So props. Uh, I power watched all the rebuild movies this weekend. I don't know about you guys, but I thought the way the four rebuild movies throw all that stuff at you becomes so frenetic that it informs you how it truly doesn't matter as much as the human stuff in the movie. It felt like a relief to me. Chamber of Guff, sure. New Spears, why not? As long as we get that Gendo Shinji confrontation at the end. Yannick, I'm glad you said that, man. Because wow. that's exactly what we were talking Brilliant. about before. 10-10, Yannick. I think that you're right. 
because you agree with me. <laughs> you are you hereby awarded the title of Big Boss. Yeah. <laughs> um, go ahead and twirl that umbrella, light up the Cohiba. Um, but yeah, that this is I, I I think that I think that that's absolutely the case. It's like the more that you watch it, the less seriously you take all of the terminology that's in it. Ritsko and her fucking science, man. Um, like it's it's definitely the the human stuff definitely does jump out the more that you watch it. Um, and yeah, we are all just kind of waiting for that for the Gendo Shinji confrontation at the end. We've all, in some senses, have been waiting twenty four years for this. Not me, though. Yeah, you're right. Because like, like in the not... original series, they really don't for a series that's so structured around the idea of kid hates his dad, the series does trail off in a way just, that does yeah. not really <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It. It's just kind of like the end, like the, ser- the, the original series just kind of like, hey, this the original series didn't even like piss on you with the courtesy of calling it rain, like in saying that, you know, like, yeah, the only closure is the closure you give yourself. The original series is just like, yo, fam, sometimes there is no closure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Like, that's what I think is clever about the end of the fourth movie is that it actually, I had not really thought that hard about how much Gendo ducks the fade in the original series. This movie really makes you go, oh no, like for 24 years, Gendo Akari has skated until now. Has skated, has (laughs) ducked the fade. Um, So yeah, it's funny. I agree with, I agree with Yannick. I also feel like it's a, it's a very, it's a particular kind of flex to make the movie how it is, right? Because when you have, you're in the last hour of this movie and Masato Katsuragi is just shouting out that, oh, there's a seventh kind of spear now and you shouting out, ain't, you know, Asuka shouting about angel blood. To me, and I think I think I brought this up in the, the episode last week talking about Metal Gear Solid 4 and how the sort of chaotic energy of how that chronologically is the end of Metal Gear Solid. It's... It's a specific energy of um, letting your plot get out of control in a way that somebody might describe as jumping the shark. Except in this case, it feels very decisively like the people in charge going, this is the end. This is it. We're, we're throwing the kitchen sink out because we are never making any more of this ever again. And so they know that they can, they can do violations of lore or they can throw out things that aren't going to hold up to scrutiny in the long term because they know this is it. Right. Like you, you, you introduce six lances, six different lances for the Ava units in the span of 15 minutes because you know that you're not making an Evangelion five. Right. You just YOLO your way to the end of this movie and you say, look, you, you either can appreciate that the human relationships are the only thing that actually feel well structured and like there was real thought put into them about this movie, except for Mari. Um, or you can accept that there's an ecstatic visual splendor to this movie. But what you, what you should not do is come trying to ride down the middle and make just straight up literal interpretations of every single thing. Because I promise you, yeah. we went out of our way to you make this make as little so sense exhausted. as possible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's like unsustainable. But they, it feels like it was made decisively to be unsustainable. Because it's like, no, this is the last Ava movie it's not going to make sense if you try to piece it together in terms of what would the movie after this look like because there's not going to be one. That's it. That, to me, is the logic. 
That's why. Chamber of mm-hmm. sure. New Spears, why not? I agree with you, Yannick. I take I take Hideaki Anno at his word. It's last movie. No more of this. You could kind of imagine. I think the other thing I thought about the movie is you could this imagine. This is the last plate, and tonight they close forever. This is that's 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 the energy behind this movie. But I I definitely take Hideaki Anno at his word there, right? Like I really think that like no, he's not making any more Evangelion. You could imagine though that he's so at this point tuned out that he somehow let somebody else make more Evangelion, and then that that would be that might. Uh, and it's funny because it's like a all series those where weird ghosts in the shell, like appendages, yeah! like the vestiges yeah, of the, yeah, like this. Yeah, boy. The thing is, I would actually watch oh, it. I, I would be into that though, because again, you, I'm the kind of person, right, who you can't ruin something for me, right? And maybe it's because again, I'm from that generation of people who are who are like a millennial, right? So late to Star Wars by the by the standard of the boomers, right? Who were originally into Star Wars, right? But I was in that phase of growing up on Star Wars right as the prequels were about to get off the ground, right? And the prequels are, yeah. I mean, they are ass. Like, no one is wrong about the prequels, but it's not just that they're ass. It's that they're, they're so different from the original trilogy. And yeah, yeah a lot of people... Well, the thing is that, like, they're so, they're so their own thing that it, it almost feels unfair to judge them on the grounds of the original, which is like yeah. why well, like we, you kind of like spend a lot of time recriminating whether or not we like appraised it soberly enough. Cause it's just kind of like, what the fuck is Jar Jar Binks <laughs> doing here? Why is there this sort of, why has this suddenly become like this Byzantine political conflict oh and i thought it was supposed to be good versus evil with lights like with light swords right but still like yeah like there is a kind of cultural like we understand the cultural importance of like the prequel movies like my second favorite scene in all the star wars movies is the the part where the the doors open up in the hangar in Naboo and darth maul steps out and takes his hood off because it was just like that's the coldest entrance that anybody's ever made you said with second, the, with the, your second favorite? That's second wow. favorite. And I mean, like, honestly, that and 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 Kylo Ren smashing his helmet in the elevator trade back and forth, like as my as my two favorite scenes. Listen, all my favorite scenes are uh Natalie Portman being a senator and speaking <laughs> to the Senate. I am not going to let my people die while we discuss our people's future in a committee. Committee. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's you can both deduce that those those movies are largely ass and not do the thing that it felt like when we were younger. Our generation did, which is say, "Oh, this ruined Star Wars," right? Like, mm-hmm. No, it didn't ruin the original trilogy. Like, you know what I mean? And that's the thing. I, I know on this podcast, we talk a lot about the over-serialization of things. And I definitely don't want that for Evangelion. But it's also... It, it was not the kind of thing, even though it's the, it's a franchise that I love dearly. I'm not going to get mad if somebody who's not Hideaki Anno, Like, again, I mean, God bless them. Cross yourselves, right? But if somebody else took a stab at it, somebody who's like... I don't know. I wouldn't mind seeing a fresh perspective on it, but I do want Hideaki Anno in particular to be free from this series because he made a really good Godzilla movie, in my opinion. And he has like a lot of 
I don't know. I, I feel like he has a lot of ideas and a lot of ambition and uh, more than I want to see somebody else do a take on Evangelion. I just want to see him do a take on a lot of other stuff. Uh, and yeah, I don't know. I feel like we covered everything. I feel like these were like all the questions we got were basically what the fuck is Mari? <laughs> right. I feel like we worked through that as best we can. <laughs> exactly. Even That's then our like, answers where, aren't that where deep. Where did she come from? It's what was that about? It's like our answers aren't that deep. And again, I, I feel like you could go down a Reddit hole, right? And you could sort of theorize more about Moyoko Ano and you could theorize about, um, like, I don't know. I, the best I can say about her is that she, again, like Therm and Emily Yoshida have talked about this. Like, yeah, she, the whole point of her character is to feel like she was imported from an entirely different universe with entirely different tone and principles to how it operates. Um, and that, on some meta level, could be interesting, but she's also just written so badly. And I don't know. I just do not know this person. I've watched her in several movies, and I just, I'm like, I, I don't know who you are. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, otherwise, I don't know. Evangelion Rebuild. You know, I don't know. I'll be thinking about it for years to come. I know we're we got Bebop coming out. Listeners should start emailing us about Cowboy Bebop because we're gonna try to do something about Cowboy Bebop in a like big picture sense. We're gonna do some know? Cowboy Bebop stuff for sure. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I, you 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 mad apprehensive about Bebop? I I'm 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 tentative. I'm tentative. Listen, I like I'm I'm mad apprehensive because. I mean, like I'm out there on record as as saying that like I I do not think that like you know that 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 animated like figures are placeholder for placeholders for actual humans. Yeah, that's, that's always turned out poorly. Like I think is like I until until such a time as I get a good one, I'm going to be extremely apprehensive about it. I will say, I forgot my main apprehension about live-action Cowboy Bebop, and it's been there from the moment they announced the, the cast. Um, and it, even in the, in the promo images I saw now, right, you have Spike, you have Jet, you have Faye. My problem with this live-action adaptation is that they're not really talking about how they're going to cast Ed or Ayn. And that's Which is too- very upsetting. Yeah, because it's like, are they just not going to have Ed and I? You know what I mean? I'm not liking the fact that I'm not getting clear communication about some of my favorite characters in Bebop. You know, it's weird. It's weird that we have the images from, it's like we have actual like promotional images and we still don't know what Ed and I look like or if they're even in the show. Listeners, email us about I mean, no more questions about Evangelion. Email us about Cowboy Bebop or anything else you want us to talk about in the coming weeks. Uh, Soundonlypod at gmail.com Email me about my weird podcast cadence, my little Kaoru cadence that I do on the intro and the show, and whether you like it, whether you think it's weird. Uh, Yeah, uh, also talk to us about... uh, you know, whether or not we should bring cold opens back and whatnot, you know? Yeah. Like, talk, talk, talk to us, baby. You know, talk it's me, it. baby. <laughs> I'm Justin Charity. And I'm Micah Peters. Shouts out our producer, Stefan Anderson. We will see y'all next week. <laughs>